0: This has been such a wild, incredible ride. There were 12 people, we didn't have a PL. there was no email, we were doing nothing.
1: How Barstool Sports CEO, Erica Nardini, took the company from 12 employees to one of the most dominant brands of our time. That story right now, I'm Steve Parker Jr. This is Parker on Tap. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to have you here. First of all, congrats on the Barstool Fund. Thank you, know, you. You guys have raised over $30 million from over 200,000 people to save small businesses. Do you mind sharing briefly how that came about and, and the impact that it's having?
0: Yeah, uh, we feel really strongly about the Barstool Fund. We, you know, Barstool has a long history of charity and really giving to people. You know, we've supported you know, the, the marathon bombing in Boston, we've supported, you know, dozens of, you know, uh, frontline workers, of police officers, families affected by tragedy. And, you know, one of the things I really love about Barstool Sports is that it just kind of does things like we, we do a good job of just making stuff happen. Um, at the end of, you know, we had Dave and I, Dave Portnoy and I had we have a lot of friends in the restaurant business we work with a lot of restaurant managers we we have the same audience which is you know really 21 plus or 21 to 34 year olds and we were starting to hear more and more firsthand about how hard their plight was how essentially how devastating the not only the pandemic has been but really the the lack of clarity the lack of hope the lack of direction and and also at the same time the ingenuity and the creativity of small business owners to just try to, you know, try to be compliant with regulations as they change. Try to f- try to find ways to keep their business open. Um, and so, the day before we left for the holiday break. Um, Marcus Lamontis from CNBC challenged Dave to donate $500,000 to Marcus's charity. And one thing about Barstool is we kind of do things ourselves. And Dave and I talked about it. And we said, hey, let's do better than that. Let's not only donate $500,000, but let's create the Barstool Fund. And let's help small businesses of all types, not just restaurant owners, because it's not just restaurants that have been affected by the pandemic. Um, And so we partnered with the 30 day fund, which is a registered charity. And in three and a half weeks time, we propped up a charity, we've done 200,000 donations, we've raised $30 million. Um, and we've helped, you know, we've helped almost 200 restaurants, uh, not we've helped almost 200 businesses. So we feel really strongly about it. I think what we're doing is putting a face to this crisis. You know, I think one of the things that wasn't happening before the Barstool Fund is you didn't see how devastating the pandemic has been on local businesses. You didn't see the firsthand impact and the stories that are coming from whether you're a limousine company or a dry cleaner or a bar or a restaurant or a dance studio or a therapy center. um, We just started to see all of these incredible stories from around the country of people truly in need. And what we also saw was how far entrepreneurs will go to save their business. It's their life's work. Um, We feel really strongly about that because we think about Barstool as a small business. And so what we've done is essentially we've done charity the Barstool way, which is we pay businesses within 72 hours. It's very easy to apply. We don't have a lot of hoops to jump through. Uh, It's not a lot of bureaucracy. And what we really want to do is to get as much money in the hands of people who need it as possible as quickly as possible.
1: And, you know, you just do it. You should be sponsored by Nike because it's literally <laughs> their slogan. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but I do know that the impact that that it has on small businesses, my my family had a small business for, for many years until my dad passed away. Um, but before that, you know, when I was growing up, my dad, he was a school teacher and a football coach. And I could tell you specifics about how that impacted who I am today. I, you know, I know that both your parents were school teachers, correct? Yep. Yep. How did what sort of impact did that have on who you are today?
0: Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I always love people whose teachers or parents were teachers because I think it's like a special tribe. Um, my mom, there, were,
1: there were there were you know you had structure.
0: hundred percent, we had a lot of structure. <laughs> my dad was the principal, so that was like a whole different dynamic for me. Um, you know, my parents are really kind. They're very thoughtful. They are very creative. My mother in particular is very creative. My mom teaches, um, still to this day teaches at a vocational school. And she always wanted to help the kids who, you know, weren't the best in their class or weren't the ones who were getting all the accolades and awards. She wanted to help like the kids that everybody else forgot about. Um, so in my, in my house growing up, like we were always learning you know, I think that was a really big part of who my brother and I were, which is we were always being pushed to learn things and do things. Um, my parents were very active. I think in our education and our development, we were allowed to be a little weird. We were allowed to be creative. Um, they had a high standard, but they also understood, you know, that we were good at some things and not good at other things. So, you know, I think I really benefited from that. Um, and I think just being around people who want to teach other people things, no matter what they are, is just a really good thing for your life.
1: I, I agree. And listen, being around a good teacher or a good coach, mentor, I mean, there's lots of people that can teach or coach or mentor, but there's some that are exceptional, right? And and being around them is, is always a huge benefit to anyone. Um I, you know, I read that you had to rethink your. So we'll move on from from this to to later in life. So I read where you had to rethink your career choice after interning at Fidelity Investments and eventually leaving their law department before you transitioned into the world of marketing and well, the marketing and ad world. Was there a defining moment that all of a sudden hit you? Were you sitting there and were like, I have to completely do something different. This isn't for me. What was that thought? Where were you? Or what happened?
0: I, uh, when I graduated from college, the economy was really great. So I was getting flown everywhere. It was, it was, it was a booming time, right? It was late nineties. And, um, you know, I, I, I got a bunch of job offers and, um, I decided to go work at Fidelity. I'd, I'd interned at Fidelity. And I remember I had an office. I had this like big office for my first job and, I hated every second of it. Like I was bored, I wasn't inspired. I really felt like the law was not really what I was. I wasn't interested in like risk management. I wasn't interested in no um, as a strategy. I, I wanted to be more creative. And so basically what I did is we went out, my girlfriends and I went out all the time. I would get my work done in like an hour and a half and then I would write emails thousands and thousands of emails about what I did <laughs> before. Um, and there was a group at Fidelity, which was the advertising group that looked very creative to me. It was mostly women, uh, whereas I worked in a group that was mostly men. Uh, it seemed collaborative and fresh and they, they there was color around, like it was the cubes were different, right? Like they didn't have offices, they had cubes. Um, and the HR people at Fidelity, I, I expressed interest and the HR people were like, that's very stupid. I don't know what you're doing. I mean, Fidelity is a massive bank. People move up to get, make more money. They don't take different jobs or lesser jobs to make less money, which is ultimately what I decided to do. Um, but I, I really love to work. I think one of the greatest things my parents gave me was just a crazy work ethic. Um, And I didn't want to spend all of that time and not feel like I was digging into something and building something. And so I made the jump to work in advertising. Um, No one wanted to work in the internet because the internet wasn't sexy compared to print or television. Uh, so I was like, "I'll take it. I'm, I'm all in on the internet."
1: Good. So
0: I, I got this front row seat to something that was so new and so fresh and so unwieldy and so nascent that um, I never left.
1: Well, and you know, and it was back then. And you know, I started you know my career in this digital industry in in '96. You know, in through mm-hmm. through those you know those those late '90s periods, the dot com boom bust and all that sort of thing. And, and it's so true. Like there were two instances where I took new jobs and I took step backs in salary and they were the greatest decisions I ever made. Yeah. And I feel Like so that's- many people think like this is a demotion or like you're hurting yourself by doing that, but it was taking a step back in one aspect of something, which was pay to get a greater benefit for the future.
0: Completely. I think that that's, you know, to be honest with you, I think there's people and I, maybe people are less so like this now, but when I was coming up, I felt like, the more linear your career was, the better. I think my generation is probably the last generation that's going to work at a company for 12 years or 18 years or 20 years. Um, And I always felt like there was this bias towards a linear career. And I really didn't have a linear career. I kind of bounced from here to there, big companies, small companies, startups, established companies, pre-IPO companies, post-IPO companies. And I remember someone saying like, you're, this looks like a mess. Like, what are you doing? And, but what I really felt like is I was trying to learn as much as I could and experience as much as I could and touch as many people as I could and be managed in different environments as much as I could. And that gave me all little pieces of things that I could take with me versus, I think when you have a linear career, it's very easy to be like, I know, I learned this, I know this, I'm comfortable in it, I'm going to stay in it. Right. And to be honest with you, I've taken pay cuts all over my career. I mean, when I left AOL, I took a massive pay cut. Like, I don't even think today I make as much money as I made at AOL. But you know what? If I hadn't left AOL to go to a startup, I would never be at Barstool Sports. And I'm so happy at Barstool Sports. So- That's
1: I, that's so great. I appreciate you sharing that. And, and look, and, and so I'll jump ahead. Like, so eventually you end up at Barstool, which is where you are now. And so you take this job that I would consider- as CEO of one of the more unique and larger content companies on in the world right now. And, and, but you obviously have a lot of drive and you talked about that, but you've taken Barstool from the small business to more of a, a content enterprise powerhouse. So, so that motivation that you said you had and that drive, like, what is it? Like, is there a specific aspect of it that drives you?
0: Yeah. I mean, all of it, um, all of it drives me. I think it's so curious. I I think we are on the edge of the internet. I'm so passionate about that. Um, I love Barstool Sports because I think Barstool is a brand that means something and has always meant something. And I think there's very few things now that are authentic and mean something. Barstool is a 19-year story. Um, Still to to this day is a story. Um, And the chance you know, I think this is. I will never love a place like I've loved this place. I don't think I, that's kind of negative to say. I hope I do, I guess. But this has been such a wild, incredible ride. There were twelve people. We didn't have a PNL. There was no email. We had like a two million dollars in the bank. Like there was like we were doing nothing, and then we've exploded into something really big through a lot of grit and a lot of mistakes and a lot of hard work. And it it's been intense it's been volatile it's been illuminating it's been in, you know it's been so fulfilling so but,
1: that, but that, that's the fun part and you talked about the internet early on was unwieldy that this whole environment that's what you're talking about which which i think also gives motivation to people if you enjoy that well the reason the reason i asked you that prior question was there were likely many other ceo jobs that you could have taken um possibly probably that were easier you know, mm-hmm. than, than this one. But Erica, you, you know, you truly run a business at 24 seven. I know all digital businesses because I've been in this industry a long time too, to some extent or 24 seven, but the sheer amount of content that Barstool produces, and that you ultimately oversee for the web for social media for streaming video for podcast commerce and the pace at which content production happens is dizzying from where from where I sit and what I see on the outside. I think you guys even have over 700 social accounts, I read, which seems like utter yeah, insanity. 1, yeah, we
0: By have. So, 1500,
1: even better. I mean, how the hell do you manage all that?
0: It's a lot. It's a lot. Like, it's constant. We work 24-7. Uh, there's always something brewing at Bar School Sports, and I love that. I, I wouldn't have it any other way, I wouldn't trade anything for it. Um, uh, you know, we hire really smart people and we hire really smart people who know what they're doing and who in general are very fearless and who are, want to take risks. They want to work for this company. They're proud to work here. They want to innovate and do things and to, you know, grow audience or in, invent a new ad product or think about distribution or think about new formats, um, and I'm really grateful for that. I feel really proud to work with all the people who work here every day because it's a team effort. Like it's no one person could could handle and manage this and do this. And we've just been really um, it, we've been really fortunate to have incredible people, you know, who've who've really propelled us forward. And I think we've been very smart and that we've created an environment that fosters that creativity. Yeah.
1: Well, I think an environment where people can jump in, they can lead, they can have those totally. opportunities that help yep. you win. I mean, so Barstool is obviously a strong and unique brand. It's not your Chris Berman's, you know, ESPN, for no. example. And, and obviously you guys are much more than just sports today. Um, but you reach this coveted, de- you know, demographic of males that are generally tough, I think, for most marketers to connect with. And you yourself seem to be true to the brand at all moments. What's the most unique thing about running Barstool and how do you keep the essence of of what it is?
0: Yeah, that's, you know, it's hard and it's not hard. You know, I think I really believe in Dave's vision. I think Dave is a visionary. Um, I think always has been. I think he has such conviction. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the thing that is so special about Barstool sports is just how authentic it is. And I think that's what carries it's that fearlessness and the conviction and what you have to say and the desire to entertain people and be funny and captivating. That to me is what's very special. Um, you know, I've worked at a lot of, of media companies and digital media companies where people are just going through the motion to push, you know, thing A to thing B to, to get published on the web. And it's not like that here. Um, and, and I think partly that chaos and partly that you know kind of the unpredictable nature of what we do makes it so that we're always someone you want to watch and I you know I think that's what makes us very special and that's a key part of keeping the DNA.
1: I'd like to remind everyone you are listening to Parker on Tap a podcast where we have lively conversations with people you need to know. I'm your host, Steve Parker Jr. In this episode, we're talking with Erica Nardini, CEO of Barstool Sports. If you enjoy this conversation, please share it with others. You mentioned Dave Portnoy, you know, so he's an interesting personality. He's he's become somewhat of a a celebrity, even among the A-list of celebrities and athletes um, that, you know, run in that sphere, I guess. And And he's still, from what I understand, very involved, you know, in the business daily. How do you handle and manage the business with someone like Dave, who's still very heavily involved and much a part of it and with such a unique approach to probably life and business?
0: Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, Dave's the best person I've ever worked with. Um, You know, uh, he has, he's very decisive. He has a very clear sense of content and humor. Um, He is a great listener. He's a great partner. He knows what he doesn't know. Um, He is not, he doesn't want, you know, some, it's hard for someone like me coming into a founder-led company, right? Most, Most of the me's fail, right? Because the founder either doesn't really want the person there in the first place, or there's competitiveness between the two or a dismissiveness of the CEO or the business person. And we just haven't had that. Dave and I clicked from the first moment we met around what the vision for Barstool could be. And we've been great partners on that ever since.
1: That's great. Well, and, and, you, know, and uh, you know, I know Dave's been given his fair share of, you know, critique, if you will. Um, you know, and, and some people do seem like if when you read in the press, they seem critical of the way Barstool you know, serves its fans, its content, you know, and, it, and it, at times, you know, reference you know, other comments from, from Dave in the past. You know, what do you say to the critics of Barstool Sports or do you?
0: I mean, like anyone can be in trouble with mainstream media or, you know, anyone can be mad at any time on the Internet. That's just right. how the Internet works. In fact, it's not anyone can be mad. It's that anyone, everyone is mad at all times. Um, you know, if you look at the nature of social media is about post and reaction and Reaction. There's always an equal and opposite one. So eliciting a reaction is something that we're very good at. Um, you know, Wenda. Actually, speaking of Wenda, um, Wenda used to always give me this great quote, which is, "Would you rather be? Would you rather have it be hard and be in the mix, or would you prefer to be irrelevant?" And you know, my feeling is, I, I, ten out of ten times, I want to be in the mix. And so, you know, from my vantage point, sure, there's a lot of people who don't like bar school sports. Bar school sports is not for everyone. If you don't like sports, if you don't like comedy, if you don't like internet humor, if you don't care about college life, uh, you know, we're probably not for you. Um, and I think that's a, that's a good thing. It's good to not be for everyone.
1: I, I like, I like that you guys own that. And you're, you seem so confident, even on the outside, just seeing the content and seeing the site and seeing the social posts and listening to some of the mini podcasts you all have, you seem to really own that, you know, day in and day out. Complete- um, you, you know, you all once had a partnership with ESPN and it fell sort of abruptly fell apart. How did you have to manage that internally? Was that tough or...
0: No, I mean, I think we made ESPN very nervous. We had one show. uh, I don't think ESPN handled it particularly well internally. I think that we should have, you know, there were a lot of female talent at ESPN that didn't like Barstool um, for good reasons. Um, I think there's probably conversations we should have had with those personalities before the show launched. Uh, I think there was a way to mitigate what was you know, an implosion of a really great show. Um, but also, you know, I don't care that ESPN, you know, probably one of the single best things that happened to Barstool was that ESPN canceled a very great show after one episode and got it got millions and millions of press hits and impressions. And I think there were a lot of people who were like, hmm, who's this company that got fired by ESPN? Why'd they get fired by ESPN? What was the show? Who are they? Maybe I'm going to check out Big Cat. Maybe I'm going to check out Pardon My Take. Maybe I'm going to check out PFT. Um, And so managing it internally, we were really aligned, which is that if you don't want to be with these people, with this brand, with this company, then you shouldn't be with us. And we're not going to change who we are. We're not going to erase our past because you can't do that. Um, and we're not going to capitulate. I mean, in this case, I wasn't going to capitulate to be on a secondary network at one in the morning. So for me, it was, it was very obvious what we needed to do.
1: One in a CEO, I mean, you have, you know, those types of situations, which could have some internal, you know, um, issues to deal with potentially, but then you also have, you know, large investors. And so if you, like the churning group, for example, is one of your largest investors, (laughs) How do you handle that situation with someone like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's important to communicate. Like, you know, I I think you got to get ahead of it. We talked to our board, obviously, before it happened. Uh, We talked to our board every time something dramatic happens, which is fairly often. Um, You know, the great thing about the Cherning group is they really let us be us. And they stood with us for the most part throughout the, you know, throughout the turmoil um, when things were turbulent. I think, look, I think it's hard when you have a startup and you have an investor set. Sometimes your investors think that they run the business. We are fortunate in that we have investors that know they don't run the business. Um, we also do right by them by making sure they're informed and aware of what's happening in the business. Uh, we're very communicative about that. We deliver on every result we've ever promised. We've overdelivered, to be honest with you. So, you know, in my opinion, running a great business and then getting into some you know kerfuffles on the internet like that that's a good thing yeah yeah, definitely if I wasn't running the business well we probably would not be having a different conversation but I don't really think that's the case
1: well that's great it's good that you have investors that let you run the business um you know interesting tidbit so Peter Chernin is one of the main reasons I moved to New York in 1999 from Nashville Tennessee because he was with News Corp or Fox Entertainment Group at the time and he bought the company uh that I worked for and so then of course the rest was history um you know, exactly. well, and, you know, taking this back to, you know, what you stand for and what you are, you know, and I, I read once where, um, yeah, the CEO of Disney, we were talking about ESPN. It's like, what's your biggest concern with ESPN? And, they, and he had said, it's, it's like a few people in their garage producing really good content that overtakes us. Mm-hmm. And it seems, it seems today that, you know, ESPN and even Fox Sports are trying to some extent compete with what Barstool does so well although I think that's going to be inherently difficult for um, an organization like theirs to do. Like where's Barstool in five years? How do you advance and stay on top?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we understand the internet really well. Like, you know, Dave Portnoy always tells the story that somebody called us and said that the ESPN people were having a meeting about being authentic. And it's kind of like, if you have to have a meeting about being authentic, then Then you're
1: not authentic or
0: that you're not (laughs) authentic. So, you know, I think, being authentic is very refreshing. It's very unique right now. Uh, there's a very strong desire for conformity. Um, most businesses would not take the risk that we take or move at the pace that we, that we do. Um, and we're very nimble. And we've, we've stayed very nimble, even though we've grown from 15 people to you know, 250 people in five years. Um, we'll always stay nimble. And I think by being nimble and being observant and being in tune with young culture, college culture, internet culture, um, by doing those things, we will continue to stay on the edge. I, you know, I don't know where we'll be in five years to be honest with you. I couldn't have told you we would have a charity six months ago, even like two months ago. So, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds for us but I think it will be exciting and I think it will be interesting and I think people will watch.
1: Definitely. And look, in, in in all fairness, it's a hard question to answer. Anytime someone asks me, me in five years, I laugh and I'm like, I have no clue. You tell me um, from, from people I've spoken to um, about you, they've told me that you're a very transparent person and that, you know, I get that sensibility just from you now. Um, and that they all say you're very present and involved in all aspects of the business. What's the best and the hardest parts of your job and what keeps you grounded with all the, sort of chaos and you're also married and have kids and you have a lot going on.
0: Yeah, a lot going on. Uh, You know, I'm not great every day. So I think the the first thing is I really believe and I really care. I love what I do. I love, I love what I do. Um, There are, I have so much energy for it. Um, And I'm very grateful to be here and I love it. Uh, The second is I'm very invigorated by what we're doing and very inspired by it because I'm always learning. I spend most of my days with people in their twenties all day long. I just spend with people in their, in their twenties. And I, that's such a gift because it makes me young. It keeps me, it's very interesting. I don't think, you know, the older you get, you kind of spend less time with people in different age groups than you. And I feel great and fortunate that I can spend a lot of time with people, you know, in all different age groups and especially young age groups. Um, You know, what keeps me grounded, I think I suck most days. So it's like, you know, I feel, I don't ever feel like I get it totally right. I, um, you know, I try to play sports. I try to spend time with my family. I try to sleep a lot. Like, I'm, you know, so I, you know I do get a break and get away. I started to play hockey so that I could like have one hour every week that I wasn't on my phone um am i great at it and consistent with that not really um am i trying to get better at it for sure um but i think the whole thing is kind of a journey and um i think i'm in the middle of a very wild journey in a wild part of my life professionally wild part of my life and i am here for that
1: yeah i mean look i i think that's such a refreshing honesty of like you're not great every day i mean i i feel the same way and and I think that if you can be honest about that, then you always have room for improvement. Totally. Um, you know, so as you know, I, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Levelwing, which is an ad agency that yeah. has remained independent for 18 years. And we've, we've found a fair amount of success in big tentpole events in our industry. We've, yeah. We're delivering our 14th consecutive Super Bowl campaign here in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Um, and our third Olympics is coming up so shortly, followed by the, for, by the fourth, which is six months after the Summer Olympics of the delayed Tokyo. So it's kind of wild. But, you know, in my career, I've had tons of wonderful experiences that led me where I am today. Some of them were wonderful mistakes. Some of them were wins. There's, you know, everything in between. But those eventually led me to create three core principles from which I try and operate leveling and even myself as an individual every day because I feel like it grounds me. Um, you know, and and I I think those things also help keep me honest.
0: Mm-hmm
1: you know, and people can keep me in check on them. And, the, and those are fundamentals, like taking fundamentals first, being transparent, and then setting expectations, which is probably the hardest one to do, because you're talking about people's emotional needs and trying to set goals for people and, and hold people accountable and hold yourself accountable. And my favorite is fundamentals, um, which we could go into some other time. But do you have a core principle or value that you operate by and or do any of those speak to you in any way?
0: Yeah, I mean, all those speak to me. I I think you have to give it your all. Um, you got to give it your all. Um, I think you can never be satisfied. Uh, You can always do better. And you can always learn more and and think different. Um, I think you have to, uh, you can't buy your height. Like you can't, you can't buy your hype. You've got to, you got to be confident and assured in what you're doing and clear on your vision. But if you start to get too good for things or, you know, that job is beneath me or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think it works. Um, and so those would be the ones that I would add.
1: Well, Erica, thanks so much for taking the time today to talk. Um, I've appreciated the conversation. Congrats on all the success. I, I certainly appreciate your genuine approach to how just how you live from what I heard from others. And also I got obviously the sense of today and hopefully others did. And congrats on, on the Barstool Fund. You guys are doing Thank tremendous you. work. That's very admirable.
0: Thank you. Uh, Good luck at the Super Bowl.
1: I'm not going, but, um, <laughs> but you know, we'll, we'll do the best work we can.
0: That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you so much. All right.
1: Thanks, Erica. Take care. Okay, bye. You don't even have to like sports to enjoy that conversation with Erica Nardini. The most important thing that I took away from her was this honest humility that she is not great every day. It takes tremendous self-awareness to admit that as a leader, because as leaders, people tend to have this expectation that you are always great. And we all as leaders are not great every day, myself included. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate us on your favorite platform. If you love this episode, please share it on social or with a friend. You can learn more at parkerontap.com.